Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a worker being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or you can support our community. You can find more details about us at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we are going to be talking about how to get more sleep, but we're going to be talking about the link between sleep and speaking up at work. And we have talked Mm -hmm. about sleep before on the show, but we haven't talked about it in relation to this specific form of how to promote your likelihood that you'll get more sleep. So I thought this was a unique and interesting article based on something we've talked about as being very important, but a new pathway to maybe get there. But before we have that conversation, I would like to know if, and I already, I already know the answer to this, but, (laughs) um, Would you consider yourself a person who's more likely to speak up at work or a person who's more likely to keep to themselves or does it matter based on topic? I'm curious what you think I would say here. Um, (laughs) So I think it probably depends a bit on topic um, and the audience. I feel like I'm fairly likely to speak up, but... I will say there have been times where I've caught myself being like, I really should have said something there, but I didn't because either the audience didn't make me feel very comfortable or um, I wasn't 100% clear on my role in a meeting. Like that happens sometimes where you're just like, why am I in this meeting? Like I have a million thoughts, but is it my place to say it? Um, So I think there are some dependencies, but I think generally I will speak up, especially if it's something within my wheelhouse of expertise or if I'm seeing something wrong. And I guess I prob- I'm kind of assuming what you mean by speak up also. But um, if I'm seeing something that's going wrong or weird or not the d- correct direction, I will definitely say something. Yeah, I was thinking both of us are people who tend to speak up more than keep to ourselves. Like I wouldn't say either of us are quiet in... Uh, meetings or if we think we have a way that we could contribute that would make things better or we disagree with the direction something's moving in and we want to add a comment about that. Like I think both of us are are more likely to say something than not. I think if it's something mm-hmm. we don't know a lot about or we or we know less about it than someone else in the meeting, I also think both of us are likely to defer to the person who knows the most. Like I think I think basically both of us, I was thinking about this earlier because I'm the one that made up the question, but I think (laughs) both of us like have a very high like respect for expertise. And so I think like when we feel like we have expertise in something, we have no problem speaking up or, or diverting things to a different direction. But I think if it's clear someone else has expertise in something that we don't have, then we like respect their expertise and don't speak up about it if they have an idea. But Generally, I think, like you said, if we had to tend towards which direction we we go in, I would say we're more likely to say something than to than to hold it in. Totally. Yep. I completely agree. I think um, the what you said in terms of the context of expertise is a hundred percent aligned with when I'm more likely to not say something is when there's, you know, context or expertise that I'm just not aware of or not as good at or strong in or, you know, just don't have that knowledge. Um, And then I do think sometimes it'll be role-based. So like when I'm obviously consulting with a client or something, that's 
a totally different situation, but like in times where I've worked internal to an organization or, you know, even if I'm working in a consulting firm, let's say, and there's different people within the organization, like if somebody's running, like let's say there's a person who is running a specific department and maybe I have a lot of knowledge with that department, but they're like leading the charge on this project. I might defer to them, even though I know I have a lot of knowledge in the space, Mm -hmm. but I, I feel like I can be, I try to be respectful of the role and if what they're doing is not like egregious, then, you know, there's if there's multiple variations of ways of going about something. Mm-hmm. I'll let them kind of manage it because I don't want to step on their toes either. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we're both I think we're both similar in that. Um, and it's interesting because actually um, in some instances, speaking up can help you to support your well-being and in other instances, it might be damaging for your work, your well-being in some ways. So um, we may be doing ourselves favors sometimes, and other times we may not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Curious to hear more. <laughs> yes. Um, so to bring that forward, um, I will give you our uh, few takeaways for today. So... The first takeaway is that there are two types of ways of speaking up at work, and they have different impacts on your well-being. And I'm defining well-being as sleep and depletion. Okay. Um, so, uh, so two different types of speaking up that have different effects. Um, and the second piece is that the reason that they have different effects is because they impact your emotions and your ability to detach, which I'll talk a little bit more about that process. Hmm. Um, And the third thing is that even though one of the ways of speaking up may not have positive impacts on your well-being, the suggestion is not going to be that you should stop doing that voicing up. Actually, I'm going to have a suggestion for workplaces instead. Oh, good. Well, I think that's good because we should probably not tell people to like not talk (laughs) or share their opinion. That's not positive. (laughs) Um, But so tell me about these. I mean, I don't know if this is where you want to go first, but the first thing I'm curious about is what are the two different types of speaking? Yeah. So the two different types are called promotive voice and prohibitive voice. And um, promotive voice is all about making suggestions for improvements on things. So promotive voice is like, oh, hey, I have an idea about how we could make this process even better, or I have a suggestion for how we might improve our workplace or improve our approach to this project. And so I'm going to speak up to say that I have an idea about how we can actually make things better around here, make our approach better, um, create a new um, type of product or service or improve the type of product or service that we're offering. So um, those are the sorts of things that fall under promotive voice. So this is all about um, coming up with a new idea, something that's going to make your work or your team or your organization better. Okay, that makes sense. So you're promoting an idea is promotive voice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And promotive voice is really about trying to raise people's awareness about positive changes that they could make in their environment positive things that don't already exist that they think, um, you know, could be helpful for people to consider. 
Um, and because people like the idea of, hey, if you bring a suggestion or a new idea or something to the um, workplace that could be better, because generally, like societally, people consider that a positive quality to be coming up with new ways to improve, um, it's considered pretty constructive. And so um, when people voice these kinds of um, uh, you know, suggestions for improvements, it tends to have positive outcomes for people who do that. So people are viewed positively when they use promotive voice because people view that as like, oh, that's a valuable thing, that's constructive. Um, and so for that reason, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit, um, generally promotive voice is seen as something that's collaborative and supportive um, that people view positively. That makes sense. I mean, I think everyone likes to... Like that make it feels like a positive environment where people are bringing in ideas. It's like it can be energizing. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. So broadly, people consider that a good quality to have and they like it when people do it. And that's going to have some, um, some positive consequences that we'll talk about in a bit. Um, the second type of voice is called prohibitive voice. And this is sort of the opposite idea where instead mm -hmm. of saying, hey, I have an idea for how we could do things, um, you know, uh, a new thing that we could do or a suggestion for an improvement, this is, hey, I think that this thing that we're doing right now is not correct. So this is a concern about a work practice, a concern about people's behavior, um, something that you think is going on right now that's harmful that you think should stop. So promotive voices where you think we should start something new and prohibitive voices where we should stop doing something that we're doing right now. So um, prohibitive voices seem as more of a protective way of speaking up. It's supposed to help mm -hmm. you avoid making mistakes or to show where errors are cropping up in a system or process or to identify things that are holding the team back or the organization back or are causing harm. So it's important for organizations to know about these things and for people to voice these things. And it could actually improve and does actually improve the organization. But because it's sort of pointing out that people in the organization are not doing things the way they should be right now or in the best way right now, it can be interpreted as disparaging or derogatory. And mm. for that reason, prohibitive voice, even though it, challenges what's going on in a similar way to promotive voice, like promotive voice, like, Hey, we could do something better than what we're doing right now. Prohibitive voice is like what we're doing right now is not right. And because it's challenging the status quo in more of a negative way, it's not always seen as constructive. So people do not always po have positive outcomes associated with prohibitive voice because people tend to have more mixed reactions to people who raise these kinds of concerns. So I have a question because yes. one of the things we we're talking about in like the initial discussion was around like if someone is go, they're starting to go down a path and you like speak up and it's wrong. So like, it's mm -hmm. not actually what people are doing today, but it's still kind of in that prohibitive perspective, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. we shouldn't do that. That's bad. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I see that that could lead to these negative things. So what, even if it's not actually a process that's occurring right now, would that still be considered prohibitive voice or would that kind of fall yeah. into the positive side because it's not about the current actual process or scenario. I think it would be, so I think the distinction would be if you're brainstorming around new things to do for the future and you're like, Hey, I have an idea. What about we do this? And other people have also put forward ideas, but you're just 
raising another idea, I think that would be seen as promotive. If someone's like, hey, we should do this idea and people start going down that path and then you're like, no, I don't think that that idea is actually going to work. Here's why. That would be considered prohibitive. So I think um, okay. if you're sort of critiquing an existing idea, that's prohibitive. Whereas if you're imagining a new idea, then that's promotive. Got it. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. That distinction is very helpful. Um, Cause I think that, I mean, <laughs> I just imagine one conversation, you could easily be doing both of these things. Yes. Yeah. And people do. Um, so voicers, there are people who in general just voice more. Um, and people usually will have some mixture of the way in which they're voicing. So um, mm -hmm. people generally tend to do some promotive and some prohibitive voicing. So it's not that people, I mean, people skew one direction or the other, but a lot of people mix it up, right? So it's not that you're just a prohibitive voicer or just a promotive voicer. Generally, people tend to do both. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think I, we can all think of examples where even just in a brainstorming session where you've done both. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So um, so those are the two different types of voice. And I'm sort of alluding to the fact that they have different sort of um, um, downstream implications for your well-being. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that now. So Okay. Because people generally tend to respond more positively to promotive voice, what happens is that you get this sort of positive feedback from your coworkers that, you know, you're competent, that that was a good thing that you raised that, um, that, you know, people might pay you a compliment for doing that. People might, you know, give you positive emotional feedback in the moment, smiling, nodding, um, you know, showing appreciation for the ideas that you come up with because people generally view this as constructive. They generally tend to have more positive reactions to, um, people who are sharing voice in a promotive way. And so what ends up happening is when you use promotive voice, you yourself are more likely to experience a boost in your positive emotions. And when you feel more positively about your work and your work day at the end of the day, you're more likely to be able to detach from your work. So when you're feeling like that was a good day, I did well, I was productive, people saw me positively, I feel happy about what I did, then you're not feeling this like guilt or remorse about disconnecting, right? And you're also able to uh, better um, separate yourself from the day because there's not anything that you're really ruminating over thinking about um, that went wrong, which we know from... Uh, past episodes and the research in that area that people tend to ruminate over conflicts and negative interactions much more than positive. So um, basically when you show promotive voice, you feel better. And when you feel better, you feel good about actually detaching from work at the end of the day. That makes a lot of sense because you're right. Like if there's something that went wrong or if you had like a little bit of a disagreement with somebody at work, then you think about that. But if you went to a meeting and you had an idea and everyone like smiled and nodded at your idea and then you just kept going and the meeting was positive and you didn't have any conflict around it, you're not going to think about it again, right? <laughs> you might think about it later when you're doing something with that project or what have you, but you're not going to be like dwelling on it when you get home. You might maybe tell your partner that, hey, this cool thing happened. People liked my idea and we went with it. But that's about it. You're not going to um, disrupt your evening or uh, 
you know, focus a lot on it or try to think of things that you might need to do to change the path of something that's happening because of what occurred in this discussion, um, you kind of can just let it go. It was a good day. I did good things. Move on. Exactly. Exactly. So promotive voice, positive emotions, detachments easier. Prohibitive voice, as you might imagine, is sort of the opposite. Mm -hmm. So prohibitive voice, because you're challenging what's going on right now, and that might make people feel a little more prickly, people are more likely to respond negatively um, to those kinds of suggestions. They might experience them as a threat. And so you might experience people getting defensive. Um, they might have like kind of an adverse reaction where you might feel like they kind of get in a little bit of a conflict with you. You might be worried that you damaged your relationship with that person because you pointed out that the idea that they had might have some flaws or that the way that we've been doing things, which may have been a way that somebody else at work had come up with doing is not maybe the best way to keep doing it. Um, so you might worry that you've kind of lost credibility in that person's eyes or you've damaged the relationship. You might be concerned that people will think that you're like a complainer or a troublemaker, or you're not supportive. So a lot more worries and concerns come along with prohibitive voice because people don't respond as positively to it and they might actually respond actively negatively to it. And so when that happens and you go home from your work day, you're feeling other kinds of emotions. You might feel sad. You might regret that you brought that up with somebody else. Um, you might feel, uh, you might feel like you bore the brunt of other people's like anger or frustration, which can cause you to feel like you're in an active conflict and now you're ruminating or thinking about that. So you're bringing home all these negative emotions and you're also bringing home these sort of scenarios that you're playing out in your head, which um, are around, you know, whether or not you offended someone, if they are upset with you. And that takes a lot more mental energy that then is still tied up in the idea of being linked to work. And so because of that, it's much more challenging for people to disconnect because their brains are still linked to their workplace through these negative emotions and also this sort of imagined scenario of whether or not they've offended someone. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine even just moments in my own career where, you know, I've spoken up or someone else has spoken up and you kind of see the, the turn and the emotion in the room even that can kind of create this... Um, this challenge and sometimes if you don't have a time like sometimes if you decompress about it with a different with a coworker that was in that meeting or you know your boss or something like that then you can kind of help move past it but if you don't have that opportunity or you know if it was you know awkward enough you are going to just continue to think about it um even after the fact and i'm going to take a guess but it, i feel like obviously we need people to speak up if things are not going down a correct path. We need differing ideas within a room. So this type of voicing is important, uh, but it sounds like we're probably going to need to talk about some psychological safety and how these types of things are handled in order for it to be effective and not create these consequences on the well-being of the person that spoke up or even probably other people in the room too that maybe took it negatively. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think that that's exactly where we're going with this, which is that um, when you are less likely to detach from your work, you're more likely to have trouble falling asleep, 
which um, means that for people who have exhibited prohibitive voice, what they found was at night, the more prohibitive voice they experienced, the less they slept. And the more promotive voice experience they, they um, engaged in, the better they slept, right? And those two things can kind of battle it out um, over the course of the day. But if you had a day where you swung towards prohibitive voice, you had more trouble sleeping, day towards promotive voice, you had less trouble sleeping. And when you didn't sleep, the next day you were very depleted. And so prohibitive voice leads to less detachment, less sleep, more depletion. And then what ends up happening is when you're depleted, you're less likely to speak up about anything than you were the day before. So I'm less likely to make suggestions for improvement. I'm also less likely to make suggestions um, for, um, or, or to point out things that aren't going well. So more or less, as individuals experience this sort of negative emotional response, lack of detachment, lack of sleep because of prohibitive voice, then the organization ends up sort of missing out on their opportunity to hear from that employee, both in a promotive way and in a prohibitive way, because people are just tired. They don't really want to speak up about anything. So the takeaway and what you were just alluding to, the third thing, could very easily be, hey, you know, just don't point out when things aren't going well because it's not going to be good for your well-being. You're going to have trouble sleeping. Um, but as you noticed, and as people I'm listening to sure have noticed too, um, the promotive voice is positively linked to good outcomes because of other people's reactions to promotive voice. The prohibitive voice is linked to negative things because other people react negatively to prohibitive voice. So if we could just change the way that people think about prohibitive voice and react to it, then we wouldn't see these same implications. And so instead of saying, hey, the take-home point here is just don't raise concerns about things that are already going on, that actually cheats the organization out of knowing how to improve things and also you know, doesn't help you to capitalize on the knowledge and information you have in the organization for people who can improve upon existing processes. What we should do instead is educate people about the value of prohibitive voice, create a culture where people feel okay pointing out when things are not going as well as they could be and what people are currently doing, and discourage people from actively making people feel bad about that um, and pointing those things out. So I think really the solution here, instead of telling individuals, hey, stop doing that, stop speaking up when you see something or you're concerned about something that's going wrong in the organization that already exists, we should be talking to employees about how they respond to that so that we can still benefit from those suggestions in the long run. I completely agree. I think that makes so much sense. I actually have a really good example of a leader that I had um, at one point in my career, and she would do a really good job of this. Like what she would do is she would, after, you know, like let's say there's a brainstorming session or she came and said like, we're going to be doing X, Y, Z. She then would give space specifically for pushback. She'd be like, please push back. Anyone have concerns, issues, challenges now, you know, push back right now. And then people would like people would say something um, that like she kind of made that space very clear. Like this is the time to say the negative thing that you have to say. And then her response was always, oh, interesting. So what why do you feel that way? What do you think would be better? And it was it was not like a there there wasn't a negative reaction because she was already expecting that the comment was going to be potentially critical of the idea or the the situation and everybody in the room was expecting that the response would be critical. So mm -hmm. it was almost like creating this very um, intentional moment 
to push back on ideas, whether it was a brainstorming session, whether it was, you know, some sort of other meeting, that intentional space, like set everybody up to not get reactive because they already know negative is coming. Um, yeah. And then they were able to, you know, have a discussion about that negative feedback um, without really any major negative emotion that I saw in the room, at least in the situations that I was in. Yeah. It kind of normalizes having the conversation, right? Where you feel like you're not being a troublemaker or rabble rouser for bringing something up. Like your boss is asking you to do it. Um, and so mm -hmm. that creates that space. So then people are not feeling like they're really, um, problematic for raising something. It's like, well, this person asked and sometimes just being asked paves the way so that you don't feel like you're just bringing it up out of the blue, but you're responding to something that someone's actually asking you to consider, which I think makes all the difference as you're saying. Great. And it's a great example. Yeah, I think, I think it really does make a difference to have that space. And I think, you know, people listening to this and thinking about what they can do, like create that intentional space, you know, make it so that everyone knows something critical is occurring in this moment so that you can manage your emotions in an effective way versus, you know, how, I think it makes it a lot harder when you're like in a meeting and you're talking about an idea and then you just kind of, uh, and then basically you just kind of go into the, you know, someone has to just jump in and give that more critical feedback. That's a problem. That's a challenge because what ends up happening is there, you know, people were going to react and you, people have a hard time controlling their emotions. So if they're reacting to the negative in the moment, they might have like that face, right? Where they're like shocked mm -hmm. or upset or frustrated or whatever. And then the other, the person that's giving the feedback might have the reactions you're talking about, kind of taking that negative emotion and being like, oh no, what did I do? Um, but if everyone's kind of ready for it in a way that kind of helps. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also if you're a person who is struggling with feeling that people are not responding as well to um, some of these uh, more prohibitive types of voice to you, you could also role model that. So asking people for feedback on your ideas and saying, hey, you know, this is the direction I've been going on. Does anyone have ideas about how to improve this? Or, you know, this is what I've been thinking about, but I would love to hear if there are other ideas for how I could make this better. You know, I've been engaging in this process for a long time. Does anyone think that I'm missing something? So that if you're doing that to other people, people won't view you as giving criticism, but not being open to criticism. And over time, if you open yeah. the door for other people to give criticism, then they might not feel negatively when you do it. It might just become part of the culture. So I think you can also influence the extent to which it's normal, even if you're not the leader, by asking people for feedback on the stuff you're leading to. I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, um, a great way of doing it and kind of just within a team, you know, as a team member trying to influence, uh, anytime you bring up an idea or have a thought, like ask people to poke holes in it. Right. That I feel like just even that sentence, like poke holes in my idea. Yeah. Can really help people do that and then feel comfortable with the fact that you might do it back. Right. Like I, I yeah. think that's a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to know that voicing at work can have these two sort of opposing effects when you make suggestions for new ideas and new processes that don't already exist, 
that has a positive impact on your ability to detach and your sleep and you're less depleted and you're more likely to keep voicing. But it's the opposite for this prohibitive form of voice. But that's not a reason to sort of decide as an organization that we're just not going to let people comment on things that we're doing that are not efficient or could be made better. <laughs> um, instead, we really need to create an environment where people feel comfortable with that. And so you can do that as an employee by asking people for feedback on your ideas as you're also offering it for others. And as leaders, doing exactly what you used in your example, I think is a great thing to do. So being aware of the fact that just encouraging people to speak up is not always going to be good for them, depending upon other people on your team's responses. But knowing that you have to really be more conscientious about creating that culture so that it will have those positive impacts and you can reap the benefits from the suggestions, I think is really the take home point of this article. It's a great article. I think it's super interesting. I think it's got a really nice tie in with the the sleep piece, which obviously is a big impact on well-being, um, but like really practical too. like just such a simple thing within your interactions at work can have such a big impact on your well-being. And I think, you know, you and I in particular really love that kind of research and content because it's so important to know that it's not just about, you know, taking a walk here and there or what have you to make yourself feel better and impact your well-being. It's also just like the interactions, the environment you're yeah. in. Those things are so important. I think this article really does kind of hone in on that. Like this specific interaction can have a detrimental impact or a positive impact on your life yeah. overall. Yeah, these things matter and uh, they matter in a big way. So if you haven't been getting sleep because you've been speaking up, now you might know why. Um, but uh, <laughs> hopefully you have some tips for trying to improve your well-being, but continue being able to speak honestly about how to make things better. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Katina. Appreciate it. Great article. Good choice. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, you know how to find us if you need us. We'd love to hear from you. You can always email us at contact at workerbeing.com. Um, you can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, and of course, our community at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us. Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Music